So we, we've been going through the book of Mark, and we've been looking at um, what did Jesus do? Jesus did a lot of things, and so we're looking this morning, we're picking up in that series, and we are in Mark chapter 4, and we're going to pick up at verse 35. We're looking at where Jesus calmed the storm. So what did Jesus do? He calmed the storm that came. Um, so I'd invite you, you can, you can follow along on your, uh, your app or on screen here, or, you know, an amazing thing is actually the Bible. You can open it up. It's on paper. It's on print. Always a good thing. Um, it doesn't malfunction, you know, with a power button or anything like that, which is pretty good. So um, I invite you. <clears throat> Mark chapter 4, verse 35. You guys can read along with me. On that day when evening had come, he said to him, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he, Jesus, but he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You know, we live on the eastern shore. There's, there's crazy uh, thunderstorms that pop up, especially in the summertime, all the time. I don't know about you, but I, has anybody ever been caught in just a bad thunderstorm? Just rain, hail, crazy stuff happening. Um, I remember being caught in, in a storm like that. It was pretty bad. I lived in South Carolina, and um, I did have a motorcycle. Um, my wife is a nurse, and I'll never have a motorcycle again. And luckily, she's working this weekend, and so she won't hear this story. So <clears throat> I, I was out to eat with some friends, and it was a beautiful day. Sunny, it was warm, South Carolina weather. We went out to eat. We're eating outside. And uh, so I had driven my motorcycle to the restaurant, and then out of nowhere, you just see these storm clouds showing up. I'm like, oh, man. I should probably go home before it starts pouring. So they, I just, we're going to see what happens. They're getting darker. You know, that was a dumb move. So I just real quick, I'm like, I'm going to hop on my bike and I'm just going to fly home before the storm hits. I made it about a mile down the road and it was like the heavens opened up. It was a terrible idea. It was raining. There were lightning bolts all around me. And, you know, I'm sitting there riding on my motorcycle and be like, all right, I'm coming to see Jesus today. This is it. This is why people tell you not to buy a motorcycle, among other reasons. That storm was so horrific, and I sat there and I joked with some friends after I actually did make it home, but I was honestly terrified. I mean, there's, there's, it's one thing to drive through a storm in a car, and you're a little concerned and a little worried. It's another thing to, the only thing that's really protecting you is a helmet, okay? There's no windshield wipers on a helmet. I just thought I'd throw that out there to you, Okay? <laughs> And two wheels don't really function well on pavement over the four-wheel option. 
So this storm was crazy. I would have loved for Jesus to maybe show up on the back of the bike, you know, peace be still. I say that. But storms, but the point is, uh, storms are inevitable. Storms are inevitable. There's nothing we can do when we see a storm coming that's going to go, we can change the detail of things and stop the storm from coming. Or, hey, before this storm hits, I need to go ahead and take care of these couple of things. The storms are coming whether we like it or not. You know, that storm wasn't going to look and go, oh, well, Todd's out to eat and he's on his motorcycle. I'll hold up for like an hour. I'll let you get on home, buddy, and then I'm going to storm. Life doesn't work that way, right? So storms are inevitable. You look at the disciples They were facing this storm. Now, these guys sailed the seas, and you may have heard this all the time. They were fishermen. They've sailed uh, the Sea of Galilee plenty of times. Um, The Sea of Galilee is surrounded by mountains, and so what happens is you, you tend to see these kinds of squalls. They would pop up on the Sea of Galilee all the time because it literally was a wind tunnel over the Sea of Galilee. Um, my my in laws recently went there and they took some pictures. And it is, it's mountainous all the way around the sea and it's so small. And so the wind drops in and when storms hit, they hit bad. And it goes from calm to like, uh oh, this is not a good time to be in a boat. Kind of like, this is not a good time to be on a motorcycle. And so these disciples are crossing the sea, what they had done many, many times, and the boat is filling quickly. So look back at verse 35 and 36. I want to pull out a couple of of important pieces right from the text. So as we go through this, I just want to pull out certain phrases that I feel God kind of putting on my heart to press into you that need pressing in in my life as we look at these things. So the first thing, so verse 35, it says, On that day when evening had come, he said to him, Let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with him in the boat just as he was. Now, this is really, it seems kind of minuscule, just as he was. And as I'm just kind of preparing in this, I could not get past this phrase. And I get the reason for the phrase. Mark is putting it in there. He's giving us a context of time going, look, Jesus had been doing ministry all day. He had been speaking to the crowds. He hops right into the boat, didn't change, didn't go home, get prepared for his trip across the sea. So I get the concept of time going on here that they literally jumped in the boat and they're headed across the sea. But I also, I couldn't get past this for the fact that it's reminding that Jesus was just as he was. Jesus needed nothing to be Jesus. Jesus needed nothing to be our Savior. He needed nothing in that boat with him. Let me explain. See, um, we all have different roles in life, right? I'm a parent. You kind of need kids to be a parent, okay? If you take someone else's kids and you start being their parent, weird things happen, you know, social services get called, you know, things like that. So a prerequisite for that role is you kind of need kids to be a parent. It's also helpful if you have a little bit of knowledge, you know, of course, when that baby shows up, you're just like, there ain't nothing preparing you for that. But you kind of gain experience as your kids start to grow and you gain some knowledge, you have some wisdom and other people around you, right, that help your family. My mom helps us out tremendously. My family could not exist very well if I didn't have my mom to help, especially on these weekends where my wife is gone. Let me tell you a side note. Single parenting, if you are a single parent, praise you. And I pray that the Lord gives you strength because every third weekend I have to be a single parent. Woo! 
Mm, you talk about some storms. But you need things to fulfill that role of being a parent. Same thing I taught for seven years. I was a teacher. You kind of need a degree. It's helpful to have that kind of education and knowledge and understanding of psychology, how a children's mind works, how learning modalities interact when you're teaching a lesson, how to take curriculum and organize that into lessons that are teachable to a young mind. You needed other things to kind of fulfill that role. My brother's an engineer. He needs certain tools and knowledge, also needed a degree and a lot more schooling than I did. Not, mm -mm, no. Um, But you look in the back of his truck and I laugh, he's got all these different things that he just needs to be an engineer. And I look at all of them, I'm like, I have no idea what, what any of that's for, but it seems very important. See, Jesus did not get into the boat, go, hold on, I need my Doppler here and I need some uh, sonar. I need to check these things because I think I just got a feeling there's a storm coming. I'm going to need a couple of things out of my Jesus tool belt to deal with this storm that's going to be coming. So just as he was, is extremely important for understanding that Jesus needs nothing to fulfill his role as Jesus. Jesus doesn't need anything added to him. He doesn't need anything in order to be our Savior and functioning as Jesus in our lives. And so it might seem not that big of a deal, but just as he was isn't just about a time context. It's about that we need to remember that Jesus is just as he was in our lives and he needs nothing. So just as he was. Pick up with verse 37 and 38 with me, jumping back into the text. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern. Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Okay, is anybody aggravated by that? Okay, I'm guilty. Something's not right about that. There's a storm going on. And homeboy Jesus is passed out in the stern. That's the back of the boat. He gone. He's sleeping. And it's like he's a savior. He's God. You know it's a good sleep. (laughs) I'm just saying. This is in there for a couple of reasons. One, it shows us and identifies Jesus as being human. That he needs rest. He was tired in that moment. He was resting in the back of the boat. He was asleep. So he understands where we come from of needing rest, needing sleep. He was resting. But you know what? This is the beautiful thing. Is he was absolutely asleep and at peace. You know, it's all about location, location, location. You know, we, we're all around here on the shore. Maybe you're not from here. We're sorry. Um, but there's a lot of boats and water around here. And most people growing up around here, you know, real quickly, you know, you've got the bow, the front of the boat, and you've got the stern, which is the back of the boat. And, and a lot of times in ships, as, as kind of sailing and everything uh, progressed, the stern was the place of the captain. That's where the captain piloted the ship. That's where the rudder is that controls the ship. So the captain was often at the back of the boat, making sure that they could see the crew and what was going on in the boat. They could take in all the surroundings, the sea and the water going on. Also, they could pilot the boat. Jesus is asleep in the stern. 
It reminds me of Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was famous for saying he's an old, uh, old preacher, and I love him, but he used to say all the time that we got to realize that Jesus is the captain of our salvation. And so we can't get past the fact that Jesus is resting in the stern, in the spot where the captain belongs. He's resting. I don't know about you, um, I love to watch the show Deadliest Catch. And if you have a problem with that, uh, don't judge me. I don't know, it's weird. I like the show. Um, <clears throat> but one of the things I noticed uh, about the captains on that show, so these guys are up in the Bering Sea, uh, they're fishing for crabs, and they have pretty massive boats, you know, 7,500 foot boats that they're out in the sea. And these guys are crazy. They will literally haul up crab pots, massive thousand pound crab pots with a crew in hurricane force storms. Literally they're hurricanes. So they are crabbing in 50, sometimes 60 foot seas. And you're in this big boat, but waves that big, like you go down the wave and then you come up the wave. No. And these guys are, they, they film the captains, and, and they're, they're a wreck. They are an absolute wreck the whole time. They don't sleep. That does not happen. They don't rest. They usually see them, they're smoking, they're chewing tobacco, they're smoking, you know, energy drinks. Or, they're not smoking an energy drink. You know it's bad if you're smoking an energy drink. <laughs> like, you need sleep for real. They're drinking an energy drink. They probably are smoking. I don't know, but... They do everything they can to stay awake and see. And when the waves and the storms hit, like I, I don't know how they don't just break down. They are so stressed out. The last thing they want to do is put someone else in charge and go down and get some rest and sleep. Often they just pass out and they just fall asleep and you see them nodding off and on. There's such a different difference. Jesus is asleep in the stern. You don't see Jesus in the back of the boat smoking a nervous cigarette, drinking an energy drink, going, gosh, I hope I get the disciples across the sea. Jesus wasn't freaking out. He's asleep in the back of the boat. He's resting. See, because he knew that the storm was coming. He knew what the storm was going to do to the disciples. He knew how he was going to deal with the storm, and he knew what lesson he was going to teach the disciples through the storm. You know, it says in James 1, verses 3 and 4, you don't have to turn there, but I just want to read to you. It says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. Storms come into our lives for a reason. Jesus knew that that storm needed to come into the life of the disciples to teach them, to grow them. He's not asleep either because he has this lack of concern. It wasn't because he didn't care about the disciples or what was happening to him, but it's the fact of showing honestly that he is God Almighty and in complete control, and he doesn't need to be concerned about the storms arising. He's at a complete rest and peace before the storm, in the storm, and after the storm. But he has to teach, he has to teach his disciples a lesson, and often when the storms are keeping us awake at night, 
when the details of life start to get a little rocky, our boat feels like it's filling up, we, you know, God forbid, we might be smoking a nervous cigarette and drinking an energy drink. But God is perfectly at rest. Jesus is perfectly at rest dealing with the storm that he put in our life for a very specific reason. And so he's resting and he's showing the disciples that he is completely, completely at peace. Verse 38, let me read that one again. You can look there with me. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion and they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care? They woke him up. They woke him. You know, old pastor, he shared this story. He said that, you know, that um, the vines, when they grow in the forest, you know, think about a vine growing up a sturdy oak tree. And storms come into that forest and they blow, but if that vine has attached to the oak tree, it's inevitable that sometimes the way that the storm blows across and hits that vine, that it's going to blow against the vine and it's going to press it into that oak tree. The winds are so fierce and it's going to feel the elements of that storm. But because of the force of the storm, the vine presses into the oak and the oak holds it in place and keeps it upright and attached even through the storm. Sometimes the storm comes from the other way, and that big mighty oak is right in the way, and so that storm hits the oak, and the barrage of that storm and the wind presses in, and that vine's on the backside, and the oak ends up protecting the vine from the storm. Now, I think that's a great analogy. There's three things that I see happening. The disciples, if we look at what they did, they woke Jesus up because they knew they needed to press in to Jesus, the mighty oak. They knew they had nowhere else to be, that if they were going to be secure, they had to press into their Savior. <laughs> he was the only one that was going to be able to do anything with them. You know, there's going to be times in life, the storm is going to come, and you have a decision there. You're not getting out of this. The storm is coming. The winds are going to rage. The rain is going to pelt against you because of the details and the things going on in your life. Are you going to press in? Are you going to allow the storm to push you to press into Christ? Or are you not? There's also going to be times where the storm is coming and you know what? Jesus shelters you. You see some of the effects of the storm going on around you, but he has sheltered you and protected you in that moment of that storm and because of those details. You know, there's a third thing that happens here. I think it's really important to realize what the disciples didn't do. You know, they didn't go, look, he's asleep. He's had a hard day. Come on, we're fishermen for goodness sake. Let's start bailing this boat out. We're going to sail on through. We're going to press on. We can do it. No. They didn't do that. They were freaking out. They knew that they were not going to bail that boat out. There was no way they were going to safely pilot the boat across. You know, but I got to be honest with you. I can't tell you how many times in my life, and I imagine if, if I'm doing it, then you probably are too. How many times do we pick up the bale and we start scooping the water out of the boat and going, oh, let me adjust the sails. I don't want to bother God with this storm. Or even worse, we go, you know what? I'm a little ticked off that he let the storm come and I'll take care of this myself. 
I'll bail out the boat. Fine, Jesus, you, you want to be asleep in the back of the boat? Fine, I'll take care of this one. And the water keeps pouring in. And the boat keeps sinking. And we're just like that vine that's not attached to the oak tree. And we're blown around wild. And we have nothing to secure us when the storm hits. You might need to wake Jesus up. You might need to go to the stern and go, I need you, Jesus. Because I don't know about you. Whenever I've tried to bail that boat out and sail through that storm, it does not go really well. It just doesn't go. So they woke him. Next we see in verse 39, it says, And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and the sea. Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. So he rebuked the storm. He commands them to be still. This, uh, this word rebuked is the same translation that Mark uses in verse 125 when Jesus is casting out a demonic presence in an individual. So it's the same word. So Mark is trying to tell us this wasn't your ordinary storm. The storm was demonic. Satan was pressing against Jesus, coming against him. He did not want him to carry on with his gospel across the sea. And so a storm arose. And just like Jesus rebuked the demonic presence in the man, he rebuked the demonic presence in the storm. And he did it because he has ultimate authority over anything and everything. You know, I've mentioned this before. Um, something that Timothy Keller mentions and talks about a lot is, is that America has a, a, is, is certainly in the minority when it comes to talking about the demonic spirit that, that is a part of our world. It's a part of where we live in. That Satan is here. He's real. He's not made up. And that we are going to feel the pressures of living in this world because of that. The rest of the world is actually a little bit more um, convinced that there is a spiritual element to the world we live in, that everything cannot be explained simply by science and dealt with according to medicine or something that is in our control. We tend to kind of push back against that. We tend to downplay that demonic presence that can be apparent or sometimes can be creating the storms in our lives. Sometimes the storms just come because we're stupid. And they're called, they're called consequences. <laughs> and going, hey, there's no way beating around that bush, okay? And now we got past that. But this is so true. And, and I think the hard thing for Americans is, and, and I could say this, and what I'm not saying is that mental illness isn't a real thing, that it's not legitimately an illness. I'm not saying that medicine is a bad thing. I think that sometimes God puts physicians and medical professionals in our lives to speak wisdom and go, you know what, right now the best thing would be medication to help with some of these things. But sometimes, honestly, it's just demonic. And we can't move away from that or separate it out. I think part of the hard problem is, is if we have to acknowledge that something is demonic, it's outside of our control. And we don't like things to be outside of our control. 
we want to be able to even say, well, it's really this. Because ultimately, there's some element of control that we can still have in the situation if we deny certain powers that live in our world. But what we run into is the fact that we also begin stripping God of his power. Because we often want to look at something else as the cause because it makes us more comfortable if we think we still have some element of control over it. Which is an extremely difficult thing to go, I have no ability to control any of this. All I have to do is lay it in front of God. And that's where my trust comes from. So we can't downplay the fact that Jesus rebuked this storm because of the pressing against the, the demonics. They did not, they don't want the gospel to go forth. If you think that the devil, scripture says that he's a roaring lion ready to devour. I'm sorry, but when a lion attacks, it's not some calm control thing that you can hold on. <laughs> hey, hey, sit, sit. You stop it, lion. I don't have time for you to attack right now. No, you're going to get eaten. Lions attack. But we like to try to think that we have control over some of those forces and some of those things. If we just deny their power, we say, that's not relevant. That's the perfect spot that a lion wants you to think, that it's not going to attack you. It wants you to be nice and calm at the waterhole and think that nothing is going wrong. And that's exactly what Satan would have you believe. That, no, he's not that big a deal. He's not going to bother you. Who are you? Pfft. You know, you're just a Christian. There's so many other bigger Christians out there that he's trying to ruin. He couldn't possibly be jacking up my life. Not true doesn't mean we're ruled by fear in that, but it also has to push us to realize where God's authority and power is in this world. If you deny one authority and power, you're not going to give the same authority and power to what Jesus can do with that. So Jesus shows his authority again and again, not just for the disciples, but for us too, that he has authority over the demonic over every force because he's creator. So he rebuked the storm and there was a great calm. So verse 40, picking it up there, he said to him, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Okay, that stings a little bit, right? He says this to the disciples. They've seen him do amazing things. You know, I feel like if I were probably in the boat, I'd probably be like, dude, we woke you up, man. That's a lot of faith, because we, we, we was going to die. And I had faith that you was going to do something, because we didn't, we weren't, we weren't doing nothing. But he still pushes them a little bit, and he says, have you still no faith? Because he's pushing them to realize that sometimes they had allowed fear to replace faith. Fear had overridden the faith, and here's what happens. It doesn't mean that the disciples didn't have faith, but the fact that they allowed their fear to control their faith, it looks, the perception is, is that there is no faith. If we are ruled by fear, that's what we're selling. That you can't truly trust the God that we follow, that you can't truly 
place all things in him, people only see the fear. There's, it's very hard to see faith when you're ruled by fear. There's another point to this, too, in what he's saying. Jesus is also pushing them towards maturity. Have you still, have you still no faith? He's saying to him, look, you've seen me do things that are outside of your control, that only a Savior can do, only a God can do. There is a point where your faith needs to increase when you see God working in your life. There is a press here for maturity. We can't always just be comfortable. We can't always allow the storms to come. There has to be a point where we are growing because of the storms that God is putting in our lives. Things have to change. The storms aren't going to stop coming, but we do need to grow in those storms. So he's pressing them of, this needs to mature you. You do need to be growing and increasing in faith. As the depth of our relationship with Jesus grows deeper into the soil, there should be changes in our faith. Our faith should increase. I say this all the time, and maybe you don't like me for saying it, and maybe you're tired of me saying it, but if you look back a year and you are still the same in your faith, you have not grown in your relationship with Jesus, something is wrong. That is not okay. I can't sit up here and pat you on the back and make you feel better about that. One, I'm not called to. And two, I care about you too much to tell you soft things. And Jesus loved his disciples enough and he loves us enough to go, have you still no faith? that I couldn't deal with this, that you couldn't trust me with this. Our faith should be increasing. It doesn't mean, though, that we don't have to be scared. It doesn't mean that we deny, man, that sometimes the storms are going to get bigger and badder. And there's this encouragement. You come to me. Where are you going to press in? Where are you going to press in? Have you still no faith? And so then, verse 41. And they were filled with great fear. And they said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? You know, the disciples, they weren't stupid. They knew their Bible. They knew Scripture. I wonder, you know, Psalm 67, 5, might have, it says this, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples? You know, this scripture is talking about Yahweh, God himself, and what the disciples are realizing. Now the fear and the awe that they had for the storm has been replaced, and there is a right fear and awe for the Lord. They realized that it, Yahweh was in the boat. You have to realize... Look, when there's a storm, right, and it moves through the water, and the storm has gone, the water's still choppy. It's still a little windy. You've got to realize what happened. When he told the storm to stop, it was gone. It went from a raging storm and high seas to a great calm. I'm talking glassy water, like evidence that nothing had ever happened. Can you imagine 
seeing that from a moment to going, I am going to die to a perfect calm. They recognized this Jesus was God. He was the Son of Man. Only God can say a word and control creation. Only God can speak a word and end a storm. And that's the same for us today. Only God can walk us through and pilot us through the storms. Amazement and awe and righteous fear were all present. They were in the right place at that time in the boat. It brought glory to God, and when there's glory to God, there's satisfaction for us. There's trust and there's peace. There's right relationship because God is in his perfect place of authority and Savior over our hearts and our life when we're willing to go Yahweh's in the boat. When we realize that he's the one that can be the great calm in our lives, that he can bring peace and he can bring a stillness that nothing else in this world can offer. I'll leave you with this question. Who then is this? Who is Jesus in your life right now? Are you trusting him as the captain of your salvation? Maybe you've never placed your trust in the captain yet. Maybe that needs to change today. We got more room in the hot tub. Just saying. <laughs> Jesus in this perfect time did not guard the disciples from facing the storm, but he allowed it to happen in their lives so that ultimately they could recognize the authority and the power and the savior that he truly is. And sometimes there's going to be storms that show up in your life and we need to press in. We need to realize that Jesus has the same power, the same authority, and he is our Savior, and there's no other option. Would you pray with me as the worship team comes up? Father, you, you are so good and you are so perfect. Father, I'm thankful that even in the storms, even when we doubt, when we lack patience, or even when we're trying to do it ourselves, Lord, that you are still always patient, Lord, that you are still always in control. And Lord, that if we are willing to trust, Lord, that you, you are in the boat with us. Lord, I pray like, that we would be just like that vine, Lord, that we would, we would be attached to you, Lord, that when things come, we would press in that we would press in and trust you with everything that we have. Lord, that you would use these storms and the things in our lives to grow us, to mature us. Lord, that tomorrow would look different than today because we've grown closer to you. I thank you, Father. Amen. As you guys stand, we're going to come up and grab the communion elements. Hold on to them. We'll take them together in your seats. It's also a time to give back, time for prayer. Please come. Come out of sadness from wherever you've been. Come broken hearted, let rescue be.
Calvary. Everybody thought that was the end, that was it. You know, but God was in perfect control of that storm. And it led to a broken Savior, but for our regard. Isaiah 53 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Take and eat. him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. See, that day, he quieted the storm, and there was a great calm. And he made a way to the other side for us, that we could have salvation, that we could have eternity with him. Take and drink. Would you stand with me?
don't forget, we're just going to do a, a quick baptism in the back. Love to see you out back and just um, celebrate that moment with Jess and the rest of us. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you for what you have done for us. Lord, I love you so much. Lord, I pray that our hearts would press into you, Lord, or that your word would be rich in our lives, Lord, and that our trust would be completely in you. Lord, whether it is stormy days or bright sunshine, Lord, that our trust would remain in you. Amen. Amen.